Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 today. <clears throat> 2012, who would have ever thought it? Wow, I don't know. Some of you go, well, I did, I didn't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I expected it to really be around. I remember I used to make some, uh, I used to think about things, I think, well, let's see, how... What year would it be if I was going to retire? You know, what, uh, if I ever got to that, what would that be? And I remember, I remember thinking about the year 2025, like it was like, I don't know, you know, like Buck Rogers or something, you know, like little airplanes and, you know, flying cars and all that stuff, you know, 2025. <clears throat> I thought I'd never get there, never even come close. Here it is already, 2012, just a mere 13 years away. Uh, some of you know it used to be a big percentage of your life. Uh, when you're 13, it's 100% of your life. <coughs> you're 26, it's only 50% it's 50 of your life. But the older we get, it becomes less and less, 13 years. And uh, time does fly quickly. I was encouraged the other day. I talked to a young person that told me, I was told that time goes fast. Boy, my senior year is flying. And I said to him, I said, you know what? You're a very wise young man to realize that time only gets faster. It goes faster as you get older. And here he is. He's only a senior, but he knows that in his mind. He's been told that enough to believe it. Well, I'll tell you what. If you believe that, you're more apt to make a better use of it. And I like that. I, I was excited by that. I thought he has no clue how fast it can go. And uh, some, of, some of you are saying the same thing about me yet. And uh, I hope that there's a number of people saying that along the way in life. I hope I'm, I don't know, one day I might be the oldest. But uh, that's if the Lord gives me grace, but <clears throat> we'll see. Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8. My grandma used to say, don't get old. The only problem is I don't like the alternative. <clears throat> <clears throat> I guess I do like it in one sense, but I just feel there's a lot to be accomplished yet. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There in chapter 8, in verse 1, we read, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. <clears throat> and Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, shew thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. <clears throat> Chapter 7, the book of Matthew has just come to an end. And of course we know that through chapters 5 and through 7, we, we see that Jesus is giving His very powerful Sermon on the Mount. And that is concluded now. And the leper was likely listening to that dissertation. He had sat there, I'm sure, spellbound by the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, like the others, was astonished at His doctrine. The book of Matthew, again, we read in chapters uh, 7, 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, 
and not as the scribes. This particular leper, like the others, I'm sure, was amazed at the authority by which Jesus Christ preached to the multitudes. They sat listening to this voice as it protruded out of the mouth of the Lord and said to themselves, There's something unique about this man. There's something very different about him. Boy, when he speaks, he speaks with authority. We are astonished at his sayings and his doctrine. This leper, of course, being moved by the doctrine, I'm sure was also moved by the authority of which, by which he spoke. And as a result, he found himself hopeful. Even in the very bleak condition that he was in, he began to think, I'm sure, and possibly wonder if by chance he could be healed. We know the rest of the story. He was. He would go on to exercise a saving faith. His faith in Christ would ultimately transform and change his life forever. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible teaches us that for the believer, the Christian, that one that's put their faith in Jesus Christ, they too must exercise faith. It is an essential element in their life. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We must believe that He is. See, our faith needs to soar if we ever hope to experience the many blessings of God in our life. Our faith needs to reach new heights if we desire the power of God and the manifold victories promised by our Lord and Savior. Faith is an essential in your life and in mine. It's an absolute necessity. We cannot do without it if we want God's best. Some years ago, there was a program whose introduction was always, it always included these words. It said, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> Listen, faith, faith is a frontier. It's a frontier that in many lives has not been explored Sadly, most will live their lives never fully appreciating the life that Christ has provided for them. This morning, I want to preach a message I've entitled, Faith, the Final Frontier. Father, we come to you. We're asking you, Lord, to speak to our hearts today. God of heaven, it's such a wonderful group that's gathered this morning on this New Year's morning. Father, thank you, Father, for their faithfulness and for their desire to hear and to glean from your word. May we apply your precious truths today. And Father, may we be different for having come. Father, we need faith. Help us to exercise it in the coming year. May you be magnified and glorified in our lives as we exhibit it before a world that's in need of it. Now, Father, fill me with your spirit. Stand in my shoes and may I be your mouthpiece. Father, fill me and just let me be 
what you want me to be. Father, give me the words to say. And Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear that they may hear exactly what you want for them. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your goodness, and your grace. We'll give you the glory and the honor. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I believe there's a number of lessons that we can learn from this particular passage. But I'm only going to share three simple thoughts today. Three truths, if you will, that this account and this leper teach us about our Savior. And I believe ultimately about ourselves this morning. First of all, we learn that He is. Our Savior. We're talking about our Savior. He is. In verse 2 of our text, the Bible says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord. Now, the word Lord here is the Greek word kurios. Kurios. And that word is often translated master even. Now, again, it's not being mistranslated here. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it can be and is often translated as master. It is basically the Greek Greek for the Hebrew word Adonai. And as it's used here as Lord, it identifies Christ with the Old Testament deity Jehovah. So when you look at this word here in the New Testament, it goes back and it ties itself to the Old Testament word Adonai. Or the, the deity of the Old Testament, Jehovah himself. So what I believe what we're understanding here by the passage is that the leper acknowledges that Jesus is deity. He looks at God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says, Lord. Tying Him to the Old Testament Adonai, or the Old Testament Jehovah, that they've worshipped all these years. What the leper is really saying is this, He is Jesus himself made the statement that I am. Remember, he got in a lot of hot water because he tied himself back to Exodus chapter 3 and 4 there when Moses was speaking to the burning bush. And the burning bush said, I tell them that I am sent you. Later, Jesus goes on to say, I am. Well, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him because he basically was saying, I'm God. The leper in this particular account says, Lord. And when he says Lord, he's basically saying, He is. So we learn, first of all, that He is. Secondly, in verse 2, it goes on to say, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. In this particular case, the leper says, now listen, he is. But I'm confident that he can. If you will, you can, God. You can do it, Lord. Lord, I've got leprosy, and and, and if if it only pleased you to heal me, you could. You, You can do that. We know that he can. So we learn that He is, and we learn that He can. Finally, in verse 3, the Bible says, And Jesus put forth His hand and touched Him, saying, 
I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. We learned that he is and that he can. But now the leper, after crying out to Jesus and saying, You can do it. I know you can do it. If you'll only heal me, you can. Jesus says, I will. And he did. See, we learn three truths about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First of all, He is. Second of all, He can. And last but not least, of course, He will. Now, I believe tonight or this morning that those three truths about our Savior can apply to three different groups of people. Let me illustrate that. I think of Gideon and the Midianites. Over there in the book of Judges, if uh, you've ever been in Sunday school, you've learned that there in the book of Judges, uh, Gideon and the people of God were under great oppression by the Midianites. The Midianites had come up into the land and they had brought their cattle, they'd brought many things with them to sustain them and care for them as they subdued Israel, as they sought to destroy, the Bible says, the people of God. It wasn't that awfully long that we read about Gideon, who now is hiding himself, being very careful to hide that which he's working on for fear that the Midianites will come along and steal his weed and steal his produce and take everything that he has and leave him and his family impoverished. And that's exactly what the state of Israel was. They were impoverished, the Bible says. They were very poor. They were defeated. They were in captivity. And then God calls to a man by the name of Gideon. And he says, Gideon, you're going to get to deliver the people of God from the Midianites. In the book of Judges, we read in chapter 7 a couple of things. Let's take our Bible look there very quickly. Judges. It's in the Old Testament. You'll see Joshua move to the right, and you'll see Judges. Chapter 7. There in chapter 7, let's begin to read in verse 3. The Bible says, Now therefore go to... Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Thirty-two thousand men of war, men that were gathered to fight the Midianites. Gideon had taken on the challenge. Gideon had accepted the responsibility. Gideon had assembled now these people, 32,000 of them, gathered together to take on Midian. 120,000 Midianites. About a one to four ratio here. Not very good odds, if you ask me. But God said it's too many. 
So we have the 32,000. I believe each and every one of them could look today to God and would have said, He is. He is the God of Israel. He is Jehovah. He is. But we'll note that 22,000 went back to their homes afraid. 32,000 said He is. But 10,000 said he can. But it gets a little more interesting, doesn't it? It doesn't end with 10,000, of course. We know that God still says there's way too many. If this 10,000 goes and defeats the Midianites of 120,000, then I won't receive all the glory. You say, but that's ridiculous. Why in the world wouldn't you get all the glory? I mean, there's only 10,000 of us. That's a 1 to 12 ratio. God says, I want to make sure. So he sends them down for another test, and there they gather around the, 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 the water there, and he notes how they drink their water. And before it's all said and done, there's only 300 left. 9,700 of them go home. And only 300 remain. Those 300, of course, would ultimately receive their marching orders and their weapons. A trumpet. A pitcher. And a lamp inside. 300 against 120,000 having only a trumpet a pitcher, and a lamp. Great odds. What we learn, however, is this. 32,000 said, He is. 10,000 said, He can. If He chooses, He can take on 120,000 with just us 10. He could give us the victory. We, he could give us the land back. But only 300 said, He will. I think of Israel and the promised land. I mean, you have all of Israel, of course, that has now been delivered successfully out of the hand of Pharaoh. They now face the opportunity to enter into the promised land. It wasn't like the land was called the promised land. It was a promised land. For years growing up, I thought it was the promised land. I thought it was a location. I thought it was like a city like Akron or Cleveland. The promised land. No, it is a promised land. And it was Canaan land. I just thought I'd help you before you looked as foolish as I did in Bible college. But nonetheless, here they are now, prepared to enter into the promised land. And so, the great leader Moses sends twelve spies into the land. They're there to spy out the land. They're going to go in and determine as to, to the, the, the types of people, the kind of fortification. They're going to look into the kind of produce and the type of land that it is and how prosperous it will be. 
Their, desire, their, their mission was not to come back and to tell him whether or not they should go forward. Their only job was to report on what they had seen. But when they arrived back at camp, they begin, first of all, by carrying in the spoils of the land. The people get excited. Oh, boy, look at the spoils of the land. The promised land. God's land for His great people. We're going to have that land. It's going to be all ours. Amen. Glory to God. And then they began to speak. And they began to say things like, Well, in our eyes, we're as grasshoppers. And in their eyes, we are as well. We're just little people. They're big people. They've got iron chariots. They've got fortified and walled cities. They're, there's no way that we can go in and take the land. There's, it would be an impossibility to defeat those people there. Boy, the people's hearts became so heavy. See, Israel said He is. He is Jehovah. He is God. The spy said, He can, as they entered into the land. We're going to check it out. It's going to be wonderful. He can. But when they arrived back, you know that only two of them said, He will. See, only Caleb and Joshua said, He will. The book of Numbers chapter 8, 14, excuse me, Numbers chapter 14. The Bible says, If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us. He will. He will bring us into this land and give it us. Only two said He will. Caleb and Joshua. So of all Israel, they could agree, He is. Of the spies that took their journey into the land, they said, He can. But only two said, He will. I think also about David and Goliath. That wonderful story in the Bible of a giant and a boy named David. In the book of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to this young man that's going to fight this giant. In 1 Samuel, we learn that there's a giant. Some say he's nine and a half feet tall. Others say ten. I like a round number. Ten sounds good to me. He's a pretty big guy. Not bad size. I think he'd be a first round draft pick in the NBA. I think he'd make a great tight end on the Cleveland Browns. We could use some ten footers. (laughs) We need them bad. Israel has sent their army out. They've said all along, He is. He is. He is Jehovah. He is our God. He is. The army gathered there. 
the valley of Elah. And they said, He can. He can deliver those Philistines into our hand. If He chooses, He can do it. But in chapter 17, verse 37, David said to Saul, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor and put a helmet of brass upon his head and he armed him with a coat of mail. David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go for he, was not pro- he had not proved it. David said to Saul, I cannot, I cannot go with these. For I have not proved them. David put them off of him. Notice verse 46. He faces this giant and he says, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven. Uh, excuse me, God in Israel. I like what David says though. I like that he just simply says, He will. He will. Israel said he is. The army said, he can. But David said, only David, mind you, he will. As Paul Harvey used to say, we know the rest of the story. God did. I want to warn you very quickly, however, before we get a little bit wound up in this thinking, I want that kind of faith. I mean, there's only three kinds of faiths that you and I will possess He is faith. Can you be saved? Of course you could be saved. He is. You've got to believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You can have a He is faith. You can have a He can faith. And that's a good faith. Oh, God can grow the church. God can win souls. God can reach people. God can do it in our generation and day. God can. That's a great faith to have. But then there's that next step. I mean the final frontier. A he will faith. Not only he is, not only he can, but he will. He will save souls. And he will change lives. And he will grow classrooms. And he will reach out to the world. And he will make a difference in this culture and in this society in which we live. He will. That kind of faith. But don't forget for a moment that a he-will faith puts you at risk, potentially. See, when one possesses a he-will faith, they risk the potential of having to stand alone. David faced the giant. How? Alone. Just he, the giant, and of course God. And I know we can all, well, God was with him. Yeah, well, who else was standing with him? you got God with you every day of your life. If you know him as Savior and Lord. But there are going to be times you're going to stand alone, just you and him, if you have a he will faith. 
You're going to stand up and say, you know, hear people go, well, I believe, hey God, He is. And there'll be others around you say, oh, He can. And you'll say, but He will. Well, I don't know about that. You know the generation we live in. And, you know, revival is just not possible today. And, you know, I know He is and that He can if He chooses to and He wants to and if He is willing to. But, but He will. I don't see it happening. You have to stand alone sometimes. That marriage that's falling apart, He will restore it. Oh, well, I know He is, and I believe He can if, if He chooses, and if He desires, and if they do this, and if they do that, and if this goes here, and if this goes there, and if this happens, and if the stars are all in alignment. You may have to stand alone if you've got a He-Will faith. It might cost you something. Not only that, but a He-Will faith puts you at risk, potentially at risk, of not only having to stand alone, but having your motives questioned. David said, He will deliver me. He will deliver that giant into my hands. His brother looks at him and says, I know thy pride. What was he saying to David? Your motivation... It's all messed up, David. It's all about you looking like a big man. You come in here with your cheese and bread. Now you tell me that God's going to deliver a giant into your hands. That's so prideful, so arrogant. Who do you think you are, David? Go back to the sheep where you belong. Back there in a holler somewhere where nobody can see you. You go ahead and, and, and knock the ticks off of them and take care of their little needs and feed them and guide them into the soft, comfortable pastures. Hey, leave this stuff to the real men. It didn't seem to me like they were doing such a good job. Last I read, last I heard, when Goliath spoke up, they fled and hid. Well, they may have said He is, and they may have said He can, if He chooses, if He wants, if He will. But David said, He will. Oh, He will. Boy, I'll tell you what, they questioned His motives. You know, not only are you in danger of having to stand alone potentially, or maybe even your motives questioned, but you're at risk of Potentially being despised. In the book of Numbers we read about Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 14 verse 8, If the Lord delight in us, He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. They were despised. All because they said, He will. I mean, all the others said He can. No debate there. I mean, I mean they said He is. All of them said He is. 
that handful of spies as they entered into that land with promise, they said, oh yeah, he can, he can, he can. But when they came back, only one said, he will. Only one. Two, excuse me. I'm thinking about David. Can't get that only a boy named David. Only a... Yes, my kids used to sing that all the time. Keep only David. But anyway, we have Caleb and Joshua here. He will. Not only will you have to potentially stand alone, have your motives questioned, possibly be despised, but finally, you may have to face overwhelming odds. I mean, isn't that what Gideon had to do? He and those 300 men that said he will had to face 120,000 with a pitcher in their hands, a trumpet in the other, and a lamp inside the pitcher. Overwhelming odds. A he will faith. He will. I wonder today, this morning, I wonder. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, really sincere. My grandma used to say, don't put on the dog, Mark. Don't, don't put on airs, you know. Don't put on a face. I'm asking you to reach down deep in your heart. I'm asking you to really evaluate your own life for a moment, your own faith for a moment. I wonder, do you, do you have a He is faith? I mean, you know that God's in heaven. You believe that He's real. You may even have trusted and received Christ as your Savior. Oh, He is Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus died and was buried and rose again. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I hope you have that He is faith. Because see, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. Then again, Could you honestly in your heart of hearts say, I have a he can faith. Not only do I believe he is, but God God can change lives. And God can make an impact and influence our culture. God can fill up the houses of God across this country. God can raise up men and women of God. God can make a difference in the world in which we live. God can do it. God can build the classes and God can fill the buses and God can fill the choir and God can today. But the final frontier, of course, is expressed in two simple words. The final frontier of faith Expressed in two simple words. He will. I wonder, do you have a he will faith? He will deliver me from that vice in my life. He will restore my marriage. He will enable me to raise godly offspring. He will fill my class up. He will 
fill up the choir. He will reach more than ever in the bus ministry. He will save souls like never before. He will use me to change a life this year. He will use me to save a soul this year. He will use me to get somebody that needs to be inside the walls of this church and out from the world in this place this year. He will. See, it doesn't cost a lot to have a He is faith. You can even get by with a He can faith in our culture. And as a whole, people will let you believe whatever you want. But a He will faith. That's going to cost you. It's going to mean that you have to believe His Word without question. You have to obey His Word without question. It's going to mean that you have to totally and completely depend on Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. He will. What's that? That great obstacle that exists in your life. That wall that seems to be unclimbable. What is it that keeps you from being everything you know God wants you to be today? I want you to know that a He will faith will overcome any obstacle. It is God's will that you are pure, clean, and holy. It is God's will that you share your faith with others in need of Christ. It is God's will that you abstain from all appearance of evil. It's God's will that you become a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Him. And it is simply your reasonable service. It is God's will that your family members and friends be saved. Are you one that possesses a He will faith today? As we go forward in 2012, Community Baptist Temple's fate rests in two hands. God's and yours. Those that made the greatest impacts in our world, our culture, our society, and eternity had He will faith. And if we want to make an impact in our culture, our society, our city, our communities, we're going to need a He will faith. Not He can, not just He is, but He will. When we Embrace that kind of faith. The final frontier faith. The kind that moves mountains faith. That's when God will turn this city upside down for His glory. Father, we come to You. We thank You, Lord, for simple and time that we had together. This basic, short period of time that I trust will 
yield eternal dividends. Father, it does cost something to have a he-will faith. To exhibit that kind of faith puts us and you out on the limb sometimes. But Father, we want you to be magnified and glorified in our lives. We truly want you to be exalted in every aspect. Lord, today in this crowd, there may be those who have yet to have a he-is faith. <clears throat> oh, they, they believe that there is a God, but they've never accepted and received the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, I'm asking you just to speak to their heart today. Father, I love them today, but I can't love them like you do. You really love them. More than anybody in this room, you love them. So much so that you literally laid down your life on that cross as payment for their sin. Oh God, I pray that they would understand that you love them that much. And that there's nothing standing between them and you except their sin. And if they'll only give you their sin by trusting and receiving you and saying, Take it. Forgive me. Receive me unto yourself. You will gladly take them as your own. Wash their sin away and give them eternal life. Then they can begin to travel. Just like that starship enterprise. To the final frontier. With their faith. Father, help us today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, very quickly, let me ask, is there someone say, Preacher, in my heart of hearts, I can't really say that there's been a time, a place, when I've accepted and received Christ as my Savior. I, I can't say for sure that, that I can remember when I accepted Him as payment for my sin by calling on Him and asking Him to save me, to forgive me, and to come into my life. I, I can't say I know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me, preacher. Would you let me pray for you? With an uplifted hand, just slip it up quickly. Let me see it. I'll pray for you. I can't make out your face probably because I don't have my glasses on, but I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you and God will know you. Can I pray for you? Just That's me, preacher. I don't have it settled. Anybody? Anybody else? Anybody? thought I saw a hand. Maybe I did or didn't. I'm not sure. But I do want to pray for you. Just a moment. I'm going to pray. I believe I might have seen a hand or two. And in just a moment, as we, I pray for you, I'm going to ask God to give you grace and strength to make your way even to this altar here where some have already gathered, where you too can see for yourself in the Word of God how you can be forgiven and saved, how Jesus will also receive and accept you as you are a sinner. But when you get up, you'll leave a different person. You're a child of God. What kind of faith do you possess today? He is, he can, or he will. Boy, if we're going to accomplish anything in our lives, in our families, in our children, in our marriages, in our homes, in our cities, and country, and our world, and eternity, we need a he will faith. Maybe you need to come to an altar today and say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to believe you, trust you, depend on you, and know that you will meet needs and you will change lives and you will save souls and you will use me to do it as I yield myself to you. Father, we come to you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless us and help us today in this time. We'll give you the glory and honor. And, Lord, for those hands that were raised, I'm not sure, Father, you know if there was some raised. I wasn't sure, but 
If there was hands raised, I pray that you would just speak to those hearts represented and that, Lord, you would give them great conviction, help them to see their great need of Jesus Christ in their life. Father, may they not leave here without you. May they leave full, complete, whole. Lord, we'll thank you. And Father, for the believer today, may you speak to our hearts and help us to have a he-will faith to truly reach the final frontier this year as we go forward for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.